Shabbat Shalom, everyone. So as I was stating earlier, we're in a little bit of a, a challenging moment, just trying to take care of some things that relate to uh, fender bender out in the parking lot. So I might have to jump out there for a few minutes when the supervisor shows up. And so if I do, I'll just be gone shortly. If you're watching uh, our live stream, please just take a break, go get something to drink or whatever, and, uh, and we'll be right back. So hopefully um, we'll be able to do that quickly. So, um, and maybe the supervisor won't show up until I'm done preaching. Who knows? We'll see what happens. All right, so we are in a character profile series that I'm beginning, and it's going to be on the life of Joseph. And so I'm super excited about this because Joseph is one of the clearest forerunners of Yeshua as the suffering Messiah. And his story is filled with love and glory, pain and disillusionment. Uh, In some respects, to one degree or another, our lives are similar to his life. We are connected to him. We're connected to his people through the Messiah. So his story, in many ways, is our story. There's a lot of places we're going to connect with Joseph in his life. So I'm going to encourage you just to invite the Holy Spirit to help you make those connecting points so that you can relate not to just to Joseph and what he went through, but more importantly, to learn the lessons that Joseph learned so that you don't have to repeat that in your life. That's the reason these stories are written for us. So... Let's dive into the drama and see what we can learn in order to better ourselves and the world that we live in. I'm going to pick it up in Genesis chapter 35, verses 22 through 25. It says, Now there were 12 sons of Jacob, the sons of Leah, Reuben, Jacob's firstborn, and Simeon, and Levi, and Judah, and Issachar, Zebulun, the sons of Rachel, Joseph and Benjamin, and the sons of Bilah, Rachel's maid, Dan and Naphtali, and the sons of Zelpah, Leah's maid, Gad and Asher. These are the sons of Jacob who were born to him in Padan Aram. Think about that for a moment. Did you catch that? Four wives, 12 sons and one daughter. Now Jacob's favorite and beloved woman among the four, Rachel. And Jacob's favorite son, Joseph. He's one of the sons of Rachel, the favorite wife. So you can see right away at the beginning of our story, the backdrop of his family. And you can surmise what a drama this is going to be, right? Four wives. I mean, one wife is challenging enough. Can I hear an amen? All right. Four wives, 12 kids. Actually, 13. 12 sons and a daughter. So let's pick it up. Genesis 37, 1 through 2. It says, Now Jacob lived in the land where his father had sojourned, In the land of Canaan, this is the promised land. These are the records of the generations of Jacob. Our family backgrounds are important. Make no mistake about it. 
Your family back, where you come from, shapes you and informs you in many, many ways. All the things that happen to you, both good and bad, have a profound impact on who you become. You cannot control what happens to you, be it for the good or for the bad. You can't control that. You didn't pick your parents. You didn't pick your family clan. You didn't pick where you lived, right? All of that out of your control. But what you get to control is how you view it, how you interpret it, how you respond to all the things that have happened to you, both good and bad. That's what you and I get to control. Joseph, he has a great life with many lessons for all of us to learn from. He is one of the fathers of our faith. It says Joseph, when 17 years of age, was pasturing the flock with his brothers, while he was still a youth, along with the sons of Belah and the sons of Zelpah, his father's wives, and Joseph brought back a bad report about them to their father. Some big questions right away. Number one, he's 17 years old. Think, think of your mindset when you were 17. I mean, he's super young. And even though in his culture he might have been a lot wiser than maybe what we are in American culture in our day, make no mistake about it, he's a young man. And even at this age, for some reason, he's already beginning to oversee his older brothers and their business. That sets him up for a lot of problems. Verses 3 and 4, Now Israel loved Joseph, more than all his sons, because he was the son of his old age, and he made him a very colored tunic. His brothers saw that their father loved him more than all of his brothers, and so they hated him and could not speak to him on friendly terms. Jacob loved Joseph more than all his other sons. And one of the reasons he did is because he was old. And you know, life has a way of maturing you. You learn what is important later in life. Your capacity to appreciate things is greatly enhanced by many, many years of living life. And so his appreciation, his ability to appreciate things soars now in his old age. It's part of the reason that he's so in love with Joseph and Benjamin. The mistake that Jacob makes is that he actually shows favoritism to Joseph. And what is favoritism? Favoritism is favoring one person or a group over others with equal claims. You catch that? It's, see, you, 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 you can have favorites in terms of a hierarchy. We'll call it favorites. It's not really favoritism, but it's a place of privilege that others don't have. But within a category where there's equals, to show favoritism among one of the equals is a cardinal mistake that many, many people make. And Jacob's making it. 
showing favoritism to one of his sons who were all equals. Now, instead of appealing to dad about this problem, instead of going to dad and saying, dad, what's going on? What's up with this, right? What do they do? They displace their anger onto Joseph himself. In fact, they hate him for it. The lesson that we can learn in the very beginning is do not show favoritism to any of your children. Parents, don't do that. Don't make that mistake. I mean, as parents, we love our kids, right? But it's easy to fall in that trap of of beginning to show favoritism for one reason or another. Don't do that. All of our children need our love. They want and need our love. They all desire affirmation. And our job is to make sure that they all feel equal in terms of that affirmation and that love. Yeah, we're going to go to a break. Check, check. All right. Okay, as people are gathering back in, just want, want to um, encourage you to continue to pray for uh, our situation out there. It looks like we might have a chance just to let it all go and be a learning experience for this young man in his new job. So that would be great. So they haven't called their insurance company. And so the supervisor is now calling his supervisor. So if they can just let the whole thing go and he keeps his job, I'm good, he's good, we're all good. But I told him, I said, if it's going to cost him his job, I'm calling your insurance to get my bumper fixed. That, that works, right? All right. So, uh, that, yeah, so Father, we just pray that this whole thing could just be let go as long as a young man keeps his job. So we pray you touch hearts and make a way today in the name of Jesus. Amen. Okay, so um, let's pick up where I left off, and uh, that's verse 5. So Genesis 37, verse 5, says, Then Joseph had a dream, and when he told his brothers, they hated him even more. They already hate him. And now they hate him even more because of his dream. He said to them, please listen to this dream. That tells us that Jake or that Joseph's wanting to tell his brothers who are older and wiser than him his dream. He's now asking them, please let me tell you. He's pressing them. He wants them to hear his dream. Verse 7, for behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and lo, my sheaf rose up and also stood erect. And behold, your sheaves gathered around and bowed down to my sheaf. You don't have to be an expert in dream interpretation to understand what's going on, right? I mean, basically, he's saying, hey, I'm going to rule over you guys. I'm going to have authority over you guys. In fact, he, he already is doing some of that already. Why do, why do his brothers hate him? For that very reason. 
I mean, you got to be thinking to yourself, Joseph, what are you doing? Why do you feel so compelled to tell your dream? Don't you understand the problems you're creating for yourself, right? Their hatred intensified. Verse 8, then his brother said to him, are you actually going to reign over us? Are you really going to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Just because you dreamed it doesn't mean you have to share it. You need to take your prophetic words and your prophetic dreams and visions, thank God for them and pray over them, and before you speak them, you need to say, Lord, is this something you want me to share? Just because you get it doesn't mean you share it. You need to ask the Lord three questions. One, does this need to be spoken? Number two, does this need to be spoken by me? Number three, does this need to be spoken by me now? This dream apparently did not need to be shared with his brothers. When you think about it, there was no need to share this dream with his brothers. Verse 9, now he had still another dream and related it to his brothers and said, Lo, I have had still another dream. And behold, the sun and the moon and 11 stars were bowing down to me. He's graduated in his dreams. First it's sheaves. Now even the suns and the stars, you know, these were, these were symbolic of, of, of deity in a sense. The heavens are going to bow to me. Specific aspects of the heavens as symbolized in Jacob and his brothers. Joseph is setting himself up for tremendous hardship and he doesn't even know it. You would think that he would be more intuitive in light of his dreams, right? Verse 10 through 11. He related it to his father and to his brothers, and his father rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream that you have had? Shall I and your mother and your brothers actually come to bow ourselves down before you to the ground? His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the saying in mind. He finally gets a much-needed rebuke by his father. It would have been better for him had he kept his dreams to himself or at least shared them only with his father. The brothers, they're inflamed now with jealousy and envy. It's just eating them up. They wanted their father's favoritism. Each son and even the daughter wanted to be dad's favorite. And that's the flesh when you think about it. It's just the flesh inside of us that we want to be dad's favorite. That's wrong. Joseph was his dad's favorite, but that didn't take away from the fact that all the sons wanted to be dad's favorite. 
wanting to be the favorite is a problem in and of itself. They were all seeking their own desires for affirmation and position and power. None of them appear to be seeking God for their worth or for their affirmation or for their identity. They too fall into the trap of living under their circumstances rather than rising above them by faith in God who is full of loving kindness and truth. Had they each had done this, the story would have been radically different. Let's pick up verse 12 and read a few verses. Then his brothers went to pasture their father's flock in Shechem. Israel said to Joseph, Are not your brothers pasturing the flock in Shechem? Come, and I will send you to them. And he said to them, I will go. Then he said to them, or to him, Go now and see about the welfare of your brothers and the welfare of the flock and bring word back to me. So he sent him from the valley of Hebron and he came to Shechem. When they saw him from a distance and before he came close to them, they plotted against him to put him to death. Unresolved anger is the spirit of murder. Unresolved conflict, unresolved anger goes deeper and deeper until your hatred grows to the point where you, you consider physical harm towards the person you hate. I've seen that over and over and over. Had a young man here, late teens, very upset with President Obama. He was in a very conservative family, very patriotic family, viewed the president as, as one who had betrayed our country. And so he was worked up, and, and over a period of many, many months, even years, his anger towards President Obama grew and grew and grew. He was standing right here in our, in our sanctuary. And he told me, he says, if the president walked in, well, he wouldn't, he wouldn't even call him the president. He didn't have enough respect to honor the office. But he said, if, if Obama came into our congregation here today, I'd shoot him. I rebuked him. Right there on the spot, I said, what are you saying? Do you not understand what you're saying? You know, you need, you need to get in control of your anger now. Had he been older and more serious and just that much more focused, I, I might have had to take greater action in trying to get that turned around. He was young enough and foolish enough, but angry enough to at least warrant a rebuke. I was shocked with that. His, some other people rallied around us and also talked with them, and, and he calmed down, and I think he's, he's doing I think he learned some things. But, man, they're going to kill Joseph now because they didn't resolve any of their anger. It festered, and then Joseph kept doing things, and then his dad added to it. And before you knew it, they're plotting to kill him. It says, they plotted against him to put him to death. They said to one another, here comes the streamer. Now then, come, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits, and we will say a wild beast devoured him. Then let us see what happens or what will come of his dreams. There was no command 
from God, nor instruction from God for Joseph to share his dreams with his siblings. Joseph was young and foolish in many, many ways. His brothers, like the first brother, Cain. Cain, who was upset with his brother Abel. Remember that story? God says, what are you doing? You know, you, you need to get a grip and keep your focus on me. Everything's going to be okay. But if you don't resolve your anger, sin is crouching at the door. It's ready to pounce on you and eat your lunch. And Cain ignored this admonition from the Lord. And his anger grew to the point where one day he lashed out at his brother in the field and killed him. Jesus said, your anger towards your brother is the seedbed of murder. Careful. Resolve it. It's okay to be angry. Just resolve your anger. Get reconciled. If you don't keep it in check, it'll put you in checkmate. Why do we become jealous? What is it that overtakes us in terms of jealousy and anger? All of us struggle with this to one degree or another at different times in our lives. I think part of the answer for us is we need to seek God for his perspective when we find ourselves in challenging places, when we find ourselves offended and angry. We need to seek God God, what is your perspective? We need to look to God for our, our affirmation. It will not always come through our parents. It won't always come through teachers. It won't always come through mentors. In fact, the very people that are supposed to bring it sometimes will be the people that injure you. tell you so many stories of people that are broken in their lives that have come to me and my wife over the years with stories of hurt and betrayal from parents or siblings or a spouse deep deep wounding you know years in therapy trying to gain their footing once again and most of their anger you know what it's towards not even those that hurt them somehow it gets directed to god Somehow God's the one to blame. Because after all, in the end, when you believe that God actually oversees, actually is supposed to be loving us, you have to ask the question, why did you allow this? You know, like Jesus, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Think about that. That's the lie. That's the lie. God doesn't promise us that nothing bad's going to happen to us. God promises that he'll be with us in the bad times and that he'll right the wrongs and that he'll bring good out of all of that. That's his promise. We need to see God for our affirmation. I remember one time my dad called me a jack leg. Actually, it was the other word, but I can't use it live streaming. But I was trying to get the movie back, you know, and I'm fiddling. The family were watching some movie, you know, and I, I had it all messed up. And, and it, you know, my dad says, you're such a jack leg, you know, right in the front of the family, you know. Now, anyone else could have said that. And it would have been, well, okay, 
would have got over it. But that was my dad that said that. Now, my dad's not sitting there thinking, man, I want to really hurt my son. I want to stick something straight into his heart that will really mess with him. My dad's not even thinking of that. My, my dad's thinking of my behavior, and he's calling me out on it. But I'm looking at that as my identity, right? Man, that messed with me for years. That wounded me deeply. And God helped me with that, showed me that my dad wasn't trying to hurt me. He's just frustrated with me, right? But because I was able to work that through with God and get his perspective, I got free from all of that. He freed me from that by spending time with him and getting his perspective. And you know what he showed me? He showed me this. Your parents aren't perfect, but neither are you, son. You've hurt people unaware in your life, son, just like your dad did. You want forgiveness? Give your dad some forgiveness, right? Because we've all been there. We've all done that. God says something else, son. Don't look to imperfect people for your identity and your affirmation. When they affirm you, that's great. You know, that's, that's, that's uh, uh, topping on the cake, or what do they call it? Icing on the cake. That's icing on the cake. Yeah. But here's the real deal, son. I'm perfect. Your Father in heaven, me, I'm perfect. Look to me for your affirmation. Look to me for your identity. If you find your affirmation in me and your identity in me, none of these things will ever shake you. And when people hurt you, you'll be able to free them and yourself by forgiving them. And you'll be able to do that because you know how much I love you and affirm you. At the end of the day, that's all that matters, right? So find out who you are in Messiah. Spend time with him and find out who you are in Messiah. Be content with who you are in him. You are unique. Realize that? You're, you are, you are, you're the only you. Very complex. You're the only you. Quit envying others. Quit being jealous over others. Be you. Because no one else can. No one else can be you. You're the original. So be you. And love yourself. Embrace yourself. You're important. Or you wouldn't be here. You're needed. Your family needs you. Your community needs you. Your neighbors need you. Your employer needs you. Your employees need you, right? So find your purpose and your meaning in this. It will, it will bring you great joy and peace. I've seen the spirit of jealousy at work in families, businesses, and churches. I've seen leaders in fear of losing position and power and influence flip out and blow up. I've seen leaders in fear of not being promoted flipping out and blowing up. I've seen churches split as a result of it. People full of envy and jealousy blowing things up all around them. Not by intent, but out of their own pain and insecurity. Because like all of us, they haven't learned yet to find their identity affirmation, and purpose in the Lord. 
I love being me. I am me. I am so unique. I'm like my Father in heaven. I get to say this. I am who I am. You are who you are. He is who he is. All of us unique and needed and loved by the Lord. So holding on to fear and jealousy and envy, well, it's not worth it. It never ends well. So let's free ourselves. Let's give our hearts and our pains to the Lord. Let's find our identity in him. Let's be content with our station in life. Be content with your position and station in life. Know that promotion comes from him. Promotion comes from the Lord. If you try to promote yourself, we see this in business uh, in, in, in a number of places, but you know how the business world works, man, you just, you just break people down all around you so you can climb to the top, right? Use and abuse them so you can get to your place of position and authority. That never works. Know that promotion comes from the Lord. Be content with who you are, where you're at, your station in life, and the Lord will promote you in his timing, in his way, and then it'll be meaningful. Live for him who loves you unconditionally. He will direct your paths. He will also right the wrongs committed against you. You don't have to seek vengeance. Let God take care of that. He does a much better job. I think it's better to be the victim than the perpetrator anyway. I think the perpetrators carry far more weight in terms of guilt and shame. God will right the wrongs committed against us. And when you let that go and say, he'll correct it, and he can do it any way he wants, and I don't even care how he does it, and I know he does it with mercy and loving kindness, so be it. You free yourself. And the peace of God that passes all understanding is what's going to cover you and see you through. Verse 21, Reuben heard this, that they were going to throw him, that they were going to kill him and throw him in this pit. Reuben heard this and rescued him out of their hands and said, let us not take his life. Reuben further said to him, shed no blood. Throw him into this pit that is in the wilderness, but do not lay hands on him, that he might rescue him out of their hands and restore him to his father. He says, don't do it. Don't hurt him. Don't kill him, right? He says, throw him into the pit because he was going to go back, pull him out, and take him home to his father. He was going to spare his life and restore him to his father. Why would Reuben do that? Because Reuben already made mistakes, significant mistakes in his life, lost the station or status of firstborn, and now is realizing, you know what? I can change my ways and learn to do what's right. And so now he's acting like the firstborn should have acted all along. He's stepping up and leading now like a firstborn. Going to save his little brother's life. Verse 23, so it came about when Joseph reached his brothers that they stripped Joseph of his tunic, the multicolored tunic that was on him. And they took him and threw him into the pit. Now the pit was empty without any water in it. There's a hard rain coming. And today was Joseph's downpour. At least he had his dreams, right? What do you think he was thinking right now? Man, 
no way out. I don't even have water. I'm going to die. And I'm going to die pretty soon. The brothers, they sat down to eat a meal. And as they raised their eyes and looked, behold, a caravan of Ishmaelites was coming from Gilead with their camels bearing aromatic gum and balm and myrrh on their way to bring them down to Egypt. Judah said to his brothers, What profit is it for us to kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him, for he is our brother, our own flesh. And his brothers listened to him. Judah. Judah now joins Reuben in seeking for the life and safety of Joseph. He at least speaks with some level of sanity. He has enough fear of God to at least keep his foolish little brother alive. Verse 28, Then some Midianite traders came and passed by, so they pulled him up and lifted Joseph out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. Thus they brought Joseph into Egypt. Alive, but sold into bondage to a pagan people in a pagan nation. Surely Joseph is saying, God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me, right? I'm soon to be forgotten. Joseph now will be confronted with the principalities of fear, of anger, and depression as he sits hopelessly in an Egyptian prison. What will he do? What's he going to do, right? Verse 29, Now Reuben returned to the pit, and behold, Joseph was not in the pit, so he tore his garments. I mean, that, that was the greatest expression in the Middle East within this culture of saying this is, this is like, you know, a death cry. This is like a huge crisis. He returned to his brothers and said, The boy is not there for me. Where? What am I going to do? So they took Joseph's tunic and slaughtered a male goat and dipped the tunic in the blood. And they sent the very colored tunic and brought it to their father and said, We found this. Please examine it to see whether or not it's your son's tunic. Reuben's the firstborn. Reuben will answer for the death of Joseph. Reuben's panic-stricken. He had a plan to spare him. The plan went bad. Now he thinks his brother's dead. And he's going to answer for it. So they come up with this plan to deceive Jacob, their father. Verse 33, Then Jacob examined it and said, It is my son's tunic. A wild beast has devoured him. Joseph surely has been torn to pieces. So Jacob tore his clothes, put sackcloth on his loins, and mourned for his son many days. Then all his sons and all his daughters arose to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. And he said, Surely I will go down to Sheol in mourning for my son. Jacob himself has yet to see his responsibility in all of this. His favoritism contributed to what had taken place in Joseph's life. He favors Rachel over his other wives. What's he thinking? How do you think the other wives felt? How do you think their kids felt about that? Watching their dad treat their mother differently than Rachel. 
And of course, he favors Joseph over and against his other beautiful children. So yes, Jacob. Jacob is partly responsible for all of this drama, all of this pain and hopelessness. He doesn't see it yet. It goes on to say, so his father wept for him. Meanwhile, the Midianites sold him in Egypt to Potiphar, Pharaoh's officer, the captain of the bodyguard. What a terrible story so far. Terrible. Favoritism, jealousy, envy, anger, betrayal, even murder. Playing a role to destroy everyone's life in this family. What will happen? What lessons will we learn from this? Where are we in this story? What is God touching on in your heart related to Joseph? I don't want to end on such a bad note. It is a sad day for Joseph, right? I don't want to end on a bad note. You know the story, but let me give you this verse, Romans chapter 8, verse 28. We know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. People, no matter what happens in your life, no matter how bad things get, no matter how deep the betrayals are, and they will come. Those that are older have already experienced some of this, right? If you're young, it'll come. Here's the message of hope. No matter what happens, know this. God will see you through. He is for you, not against you. And he has this unique ability to make all of that stuff work together in your favor. So resist being controlled by your circumstances. Rise up in the Lord. Find yourself in him. Find your life in him. Be you. You are uniquely and beautiful and unique in every way. You're supposed to be here, born for such a time as this. Cease striving for affirmation, position, and promotion. Just be you. Enjoy the ride. Live for God's glory. Love your brothers and sisters and learn to rejoice in who they are. Rejoice in their station in life. Rejoice in their promotions when promotion comes to them. And be careful not to show any favoritism toward family members or anyone else that's an equal for that matter. Affirm one another knowing that your Father in heaven has accepted you and has affirmed you. This will foster healthy It will foster health and unity in your businesses, in your church, in your families, and in your relationships. Even in civil government. Even in civil government. So next week we'll pick up the drama, Joseph and the death of his visions. 
Stay tuned. We're going to be back with a great series. We're going to learn lots and lots of stuff from the life of Joseph. Shabbat Shalom. Love you guys. Yahweh spoke to Moses saying, Speak to to Aaron and his sons saying, This is the way you shall bless the children of Israel. Say to them, May Yahweh bless you and keep you. May Yahweh make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May Yahweh lift his countenance upon you and give you peace. And we add, in, in the name of Yeshua Messiah, the Prince of Peace, so they shall put my name on the children of Israel and I will bless them. Receive now the name of Yahweh. Shalom. Shabbat shalom.